Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number 6, and like I said, on Wednesday nights, we are having our Bible study night, of course. On Wednesday nights, we pick books of the Bible, and we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and I hope these Bible studies are, are a blessing to you. Um, you know, sometimes I, I preach these sermons, and these, we go through these Bible studies, and then I, kind of, I just kind of forget about them. Uh, but uh, Bro- Brother Oliver, just uh, earlier today or yesterday, he had uh, told me that somebody had sent an email about the, the book of Ezekiel. And, of course, we preached through the book of Ezekiel, and they were talking about the sermons through the book of Ezekiel. And I thought, oh, I, don't, I haven't thought about Ezekiel in a while, and I went on our YouTube channel and looked at Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 has over 7,000 views. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of surprised by that, because, I, you know, I preach these sermons and I move on. I've got other things to preach or whatever, but uh, these sermons are helping people, and I hope they're helping you. And I hope that they are being a, a blessing to you. I thought, you know, Ezekiel, not a lot of people preach the book of Ezekiel. That's probably why it has so many views. Well, not a lot of people preach the book of Job either. So uh, hopefully uh, this will be something that helps people. Of course, we're here in Job chapter number 6. And in Job chapter 6, we have Job uh, who is replying uh, to his friend. Uh, and if you remember, of course, in Job chapter 1 and 2, we have the narrative uh, the context of what happened to Job. And then in Job chapter 3, Job breaks the silence. And he uh, begins to speak. And, and of course, he's very discouraged. He's in a very low place in his life. And then in Job chapter 4 and 5, we had Eliphaz, one of his friends, uh, begin to speak. And Eliphaz really lays into Job and really attacks Job and tells him that this is happening because of sin in his life. And so in chapter 6, we have Job responding or replying uh, to Eliphaz. And if you remember, most of the book of Job is just a conversation between Job and his friends. So Job, uh, in this chapter, because remember, the last two, the last two chapters, Eliphaz has been very negative towards Job and has been attacking Job. And what Job does in this chapter is he begins to explain to his friends uh, that they're not very, uh, they're not being very good friends. And he's talking to them about the fact that they're not being good friends to him. And that's kind of the theme of this chapter. And I'd like you to uh, write these things. We're going to walk through the entire chapter, but I'll, I'll give you an outline. And maybe you can write these things down on the back of your course of the week. There's a place, of course, for you to write down some notes. Point number one tonight is this. And this is what Job uh, is, is, is telling Eliphaz. If you look at verse 1, the Bible says this. But Job answered and said, and so this is his response. The first thing Job says to Eliphaz. And he's speaking to Eliphaz, but he's speaking to all, all, all three of his friends, and that's very clear in the passage. He explains to them that, uh, you know, good friends uh, should not be unsympathetic. And, and he's saying, look, you guys are being unsympathetic, and he says you're not good friends as a result. And of course, Job is discouraged because of what's going on in his life. And we don't have to recap all of that, but you know that he's lost all of his finances, uh, his children have died, his wife turned on him, and he's also lost his health. And notice what Job says in verse number two. He says, oh, that my grief, and the word grief means deep sorrow. He says, oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity. The word calamity means distress. He says, and my calamity, uh, calamity laid 
in the balances uh, together. So he says, he says, I wish that my grief, I wish that my deep sorrow was thoroughly weighed, and I wish that my calamity, my distress, was laid in the balances. He said, I, I, I wish I could put my grief on a balance so that you could see the amount of grief and calamity and deep sorrow and distress that I'm going through. Notice verse 3. He says, For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. And here's what Job is really saying to Eliphaz. Because remember, Eliphaz just got done attacking him. And, and, and when we went through those passages, I mean, Eliphaz was being pretty ruthless towards Job. And Job begins by saying, I don't think you understand what I'm going through. He says, you know, I'm... I'm going through something really difficult right now. He said, I wish that my grief could be thoroughly weighed. I wish my calamity uh, was laid in the balances. He said, if I could put it before you physically, you know, he says, you would see. He says, for now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. So Job says, I'm going through something very difficult in my life, and I would say so. I mean, I know that many in this room have gone through difficult things, but I don't think any of us have gone through anything like what Job went through. Now, notice what he says there at the end of verse 3. He says, therefore, the word therefore means for that reason. So he just got done saying, my grief and my calamity, if you could weigh it, it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. So then he says, therefore, my words are swallowed up. Because if you remember what Eliphaz is attacking Job for, is the fact that Job in chapter 3 Began and of course he's in deep sorrow. He talks about the fact that he wished that he would had never been born, and he wished that God would just kill him. And, and he's talking about these things, and then Eliphaz attacks him for it. And what Job is explaining to Eliphaz and to his friends is that he, he says, "I'm not speaking these things out of nowhere." He says, "There's a reason why I'm uh, speaking the way I am." He said, "I'm speaking the way that I'm speaking because of what I'm going through." He says, "My words are swallowed up because." of the calamity and the grief that I'm experiencing. Notice verse 4. He says, For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit, the terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. So he's saying, God, God has chosen, is what Job is saying. And of course, Job, look, you and I know what's happening because God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. But Job doesn't know this. Job doesn't know what's happening. Job doesn't know that God is actually using this for his glory. Job doesn't know that God was actually boasting and bragging to the devil about the fact that God said, as I'll consider my servant Job, that Job would not turn his back on God. Job doesn't know that. So Job is speaking here in sorrow, and he's saying, look, I feel like God has been shooting arrows at me. He says, the arrows of the Almighty are within me. And, you know, just get that picture. He's saying, "I I feel like I've been shot at with arrows, and I'm just uh, sitting here, you know, waiting to die with these arrows of God within me. He said, he talks about the terrors of God do set themselves in array. The word array means they've been displayed or arranged against me. And then he says this in verse 5. He says, that the wild ass bray when he hath grass. And that word bray means uh, a loud or harsh cry. And he says, look, does a donkey just cry out? When it has grass, he says, or loweth the ox over his fodder. And loweth is, of course, a sound that an ox or a cow would make 
fodder means food. So here's what he's saying. He's saying animals don't just cry out when everything's fine. You know, if, 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 an, if an ox has fodder, if an ox has food, it's not going to complain. He says the wild ass, it, it doesn't just bray when it has grass. He says when somebody's crying out, this is what Job is telling his friend, when somebody's crying out, it, it's not for no reason. It's because they're in pain. It's because they're hungry. It's because they're hurting. It's because they're going through something. And this is what Job is trying to explain to his friends because he's having these friends come to him that are very unsympathetic. They're, they're not uh, uh, empathizing with him. They're not having sympathy with him. They're being very harsh and rigid with him. And Job is saying, look, the reason I'm talking the way I'm talking is because I'm going through something very difficult in my life. And he's saying, I don't even think you understand the grief I'm going through and the pain I'm going through. Notice verse 6, he says, Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Because he's bringing up the fact, he's, he's asking these questions that have obvious answers. He says, look, does a wild ass bray when, it, when he has grass? And the answer is no. If a wild ass has grass, he's going to be happy. He's not going to be crying out loud and harshly. He says, does an ox low? He says, or loweth the ox over his father? He says, no. If an ox has food, it's not going to complain, it's going to eat. Then he says this, he says, can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? He said, look, if something has no flavor, aren't you going to, you know, are you going to eat it without salt? And, he, and the, the answer is no. If you have salt, you're going to put salt on, on food that has no flavor. He says, or is there any taste in the white of an egg? And the answer is no, you know, there is no. You would put salt on the white of an egg. And what he's saying is this, he's saying, look, I'm not just doing this for no reason. I'm not, Job's saying, I'm not a big complainer. You know, Job is not one of these people who's just, you know, just all the time, doesn't matter what's happening in their life, they're always complaining, they're always going through something hard, they're always going through something difficult. Look, we all go through difficult times, we all go through times when we're down, we all go through times of discouragement and depression, but be careful about being the person who's just always down. Who's that, that's just kind of your thing. When people talk about you and they're like, well, that's just how they are, they're just always depressed about something. You know, don't be that person. And Job is saying, I'm not being that person. Job is saying, I'm not just sitting here uh, having a pity party for myself uh, for no reason. He said, I'm going through something difficult. Now, let me just take a break from the sermon for a second and just talk about Job chapter 6 and verse 6 because this is a really interesting uh, verse in, in, a, in another translation. And, of course, at Mary Baptist Church, we're King James only. And what that means is that we believe that the King James Bible is the inspired, preserved, infallible, inerrant word of God. And here Paul, uh, Job, excuse me, is, is making these statements and he's, he's asking these questions. He's very, being very poetic, you know. And, and he says, you know, I, if it was me complaining, I don't think that I would be this poetic like Job. Doth the wild ass bray when he hath grass or loweth the ox over his fodder? Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? You know, he, he's very, being very poetic in his speech. And the book of Job is obviously a poetic book. And it's in that section of the Bible of, of, of poetry with Psalms and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. In Job chapter 6 and verse 6, though, and, and, and I'll just read this for you. In the New World Translation, which is the translation put out by the Jehovah's Witnesses, because the Jehovah's Witnesses, they wrote their own Bible, and, you know, they just, they just changed a bunch of stuff, and obviously they're a cult, and they believe all sorts of uh, damnable heresy. 
and they can't back it up with scripture, so they have to write their own Bible. And I'm not preaching about the King James Bible tonight. You know, I've done that before. But I just want to bring this to your attention. It's interesting because these, these, the, these modern Bible versions, you know, they change the Word of God. They perverse the Word of God. They uh, change doctrine. Uh, but, you know, even, and, and obviously that's the big deal. That's a big problem. But the other thing about these modern Bible versions, which is not as big of a problem, but it's just something worth noting, is that they're also just written in a really stupid way. They have a lot of stupid mistakes in it. And again, I'm not preaching on King James Bible, but I can show you modern Bible versions where they talk about, you know, somebody else killing Goliath, not David. You know, you would think that that's a really, if you're a Bible scholar who has been assigned the task of translating the Bible because there's something wrong with our King James Bible, you think you'd at least know who killed Goliath. You know, you, you think you'd at least have that much knowledge. But, you know, the modern Bible versions, they ascribe the, uh, ascribe the death of Goliath uh, to somebody else. So, I want you to notice here Job 6, 6. Here's what Job says in King James Bible. Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? And again, this is Job in a very low spot in his life, a very hard spot in his life. You know, if, if you read this properly and with the, with the right emotion, you could kind of feel where Job is coming from. But in Job 6.6, 6, in the New World Translation, the Jehovah's Witness Translation, it says this, Will tasteless things be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the slimy juice of a marshmallow? <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but that just doesn't sound very poetic to me. I just, that's not very Shakespearean. Is there any taste in the slimy juice of a marshmallow? I mean, there's so many problems that we can't even really start. Number one, these two verses aren't saying the same thing. You know, things that are, are different are not the same. Look, either the, King J- either the Bible says, is there any taste in the white of an egg? Which makes sense, right? Either God, through the Holy Spirit of God, Holy Man of God spake, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, either God spake through Job and said these beautiful poetic words, can that which is in slavery be eaten without salt, or is there any taste in the white of an egg? You know, and realize, Job just lost all his, all his kick, all his wealth, all his health. His wife turned on him. He either spoke those words, or in that emotional state he said, or is there any taste in the slimy juice of a marshmallow? Are you serious? First of all, those things aren't saying the same thing. Secondly, that's stupid. The slimy juice of a marshmallow? I mean, are we camping? You know, and, and it's like, <laughs> slimy juice. If your marshmallow has slimy juice coming out of it, you might not want to eat it, Job. But anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. It's just kind of an interesting thing. Look, just, let's just stay with the King James Bible. Not only is it right, not only is it accurate, not only is it the Word of God, it's also beautiful. The way it's spoken, the way it's written, the slimy juice of a marshmallow. They should get a refund on that translation, I think. But I'll go back to Job. Uh, actually, you stayed in Job. I, uh, I didn't have you turn anywhere. Look at verse 7. So we see again that Job is in just this, this dark place in his life. Notice what he says. He says, the things that my soul refuses to touch are as my sorrowful meat. He says, oh, that I might have my request. He says, I wish I could get what I want. And that God would grant me the thing that I long for. Say, what do you long for, Job? What is it that you want from God? Notice verse 9. Even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Job is in a very low place in life, and and he's just saying, I wish God would just kill me already. 
He said, I wish that God would just destroy me. I wish that he would cut me off. He says, then should I yet have comfort? Yea, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare. He said, I feel like God is, 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 is attacking me or is hurting me or allowing these bad things in my life, but I wish he would just finish me off. This is what Job is saying. That he would cut me off, that he would destroy me. He said, then should I have uh, comfort? He said, let him not spare. He says, I wish that God would just kill me. And again, Job is in a very low place in his life. And I think all of us would be there if we had experienced what Job has experienced. I want you to notice in, in verse 10, there's a phrase I'd like to highlight as well. And we'll take a, just a little break from the sermon and, and talk about this for a second. But I want you to notice verse 10. He says, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. So he's asking for these things. He says, I wish God would do these things. But then in the midst of that, he says, for I have not concealed... He says, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. And I think that's interesting because if you remember from Job chapter 4, in fact, let's go back there real quickly. Job chapter 4 and verse number 3, we got the testimony from Eliphaz about Job, right? Because remember, we got the testimony from God about Job. God said that he's an upright man, he's true with evil. God said that, that, that he's perfect, but then Eliphaz, he told us about Job. He said this about Job, Job chapter 4, verse 3. Behold, this is Eliphaz speaking to Job. Thou hast instructed many. Thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Thy words have upheld him that was falling. And thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. So we got an insight to Job as a minister. Job as a servant of God. That he had instructed many. That he had strengthened the weak hands, that he had upholding him that was falling, and that uh, and and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. And I'm not going to go into detail about that. We broke that down in the Job four sermon. But I want you to notice is that in Job six we get another another characteristic of this great man Job. Not only had he instructed many, not only had he strengthened the weak hands, not only had he upholding him that was falling, and strengthened the feeble knees, but also. Also, in Job chapter 6, verse 10, we're told that when he instructed many, that he did not conceal the words of the Holy One. Meaning, he didn't hide anything that the Bible, that the Word of God had to say. Anything that God said, he didn't conceal it. He didn't hide it. He wasn't ashamed of it. He says, I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. Keep your place right there in Job. We're going to come right back to it. Go to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 20. In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 20. And look, this is something that you and I should try to be like Job. What does that mean? Well, it means that we should be upright. It means that we should be perfect, mature. And when we've talked about these things, I'm not going to develop them again. It, it, it means that, that we shouldn't quit on God. It means that we should instruct many. It means that we should strengthen the weak hands. It means that we should uphold those which are falling and try to keep people from falling and strengthen the people that have feeble needs. But you know what it also means? It means that we should also not conceal the words of the Holy One. Something that Job did is he didn't hide the word of God. Notice what Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27. Paul said this, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Acts 20, verse 27. Paul, as a preacher of God, stood up and he said, he said, for I have not shunned. The word shun means to avoid. 
He says, I have not avoided, I have not avoided to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Let me tell you something. Something that we've tried to do at Verity Baptist Church as we've upheld the truth is to not avoid teaching and preaching the word of God. We have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And by the way, that's something that Job did that was a highlight. He says, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. Because look, here's the truth. We could probably preach most of the Bible and not offend anyone. I mean, we could preach most of what the Bible says, and most people would just be fine with it. There's really only few passages that we could just strategically avoid and not have protests, and not have enemies, and not, you know, I mean, I mean, if I read through, if I preach through the entire book of Genesis, which I have, but just skip chapter 19, you know, get sick on that night, have somebody else preach, go, you know, Genesis 16, 17, 18, got sick, sick on chapter 19, have somebody else preach something else, come back just into chapter 20. I mean, you could probably avoid protests, Right? Just don't preach through Genesis 19. Don't preach through Judges 19. Don't preach through Leviticus 18. Don't preach through Leviticus 20. Start the Romans Bible study in chapter 2. <laughs> right? I mean, just avoid certain parts of Scripture, and, and that would be fine. But you know what? Job said, I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. Paul said, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know what the, What we should do, what we should strive to do, is to preach the whole word. Amen. Paul said, preach the word. Be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? Because our job, look, our job is not to edit. Our job is not to edit the message. Our job is to be the messengers of the word of God. So Paul Paul says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Job said, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One, and neither should you, and neither should we. And go back to Job chapter 6. Look at verse number 11. I just want to highlight that little phrase for you there. I thought that was an interesting phrase. Job continues in his sorrow. He says this in verse number 11. He says, what is my strength? that I should hope? What is mine end that I should prolong my life? Because he, he, just, he just said, I wish that God would destroy me. I wish that God would cut me off. I wish that God would kill me. And so in verse 11, he says, I don't even have enough strength. There's no hope for me. I don't have any strength. He says, I can't endure this. He says, what is mine end? He said, there's no hope of the end. He says, this doesn't look like it's going to end well for me. And by the way, sometimes we feel like things are not going to end well for us. Sometimes in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a difficult time, we think like, this is not going to end well. This is it. That, you know, kill me now, right? But you know what? You get to the end of the book of Job and it all ends well. Because the Bible says that God, that God can make, that God can work things out for our benefit. That all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But Paul here, uh, excuse me, Job here, in the midst of this trial, he says, what is my strength that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? He says, I have no hope. He says, why even try? Then he says this in verse 12. He says, is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh of brass? 
And here's what he's saying. He says, I can't take this anymore. He's saying, I'm just a human being. He says, I'm not made out of stone. I'm not made out of brass. He, he, he says, is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my uh, flesh of brass? Is not my help in me? And is wisdom driven quite from me? So we see here that Job is in a very low place in his life, of course. Go to the book of 1 Peter, if you would, in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter number 3. If you start at the book of Revelation and head backwards, you have the book of Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And you know what Job is explaining to his friends here is that good friends should not be unsympathetic. Or, let's not say it so negatively, good friends should be sympathetic. And you know what, when it comes to being a friend of someone, because you're going to have friends, family members, people in your lives who are going to go through difficult times. You know, something that we should strive to have as Christians is empathy. In fact, it's interesting, and I'm not going to take the time to develop it. You can watch our documentary, Psychopath Reprobates, if if you want. But, you know, one of the things that psychopath reprobates don't have is empathy. When their conscience is seared and they don't feel empathy, and the Bible talks about this, that they're without natural affection. But, you know, as believers, we should not only, you should have empathy if you're saved, if you're not a reprobate, but you know what? We should also just try to use our empathy. Because you can have empathy and just, you know, put it aside. Be more angry than you are sympathetic. Be more envious than you are empathetic, like his friends. But, you know, the Bible says that we should have sympathy, that we should be uh, 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 sympathetic, and we should have empathy towards others, and especially towards people that are going through a difficult time in their life. First Peter chapter 3, are you there? Look at verse 8. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. This is the Apostle Peter speaking to, to all of us, through the Holy Ghost, of course. First Peter 3, 8, look at, look at verse, look, look what it says there in verse 8. Finally, he says, be ye all of one mind. He says, I want you to have unity. Then he says this, having compassion. Now, what does the word compassion mean? It means sympathy or pity. He says, having compassion, one for another. Then he says, love, what's love? Deep affection. He says, Love as brethren. He says, he's looking at, he's talking to believers. He's saying, you should love, you should love each other like your brethren, like your family. Because by the way, you are. You know, the reason we call you, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, it's not some weird thing that Christians do. You know, we do that because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when you got saved, you got born again into the family of God. You were accepted into the beloved. God became your heavenly father, and you got a new family in Christ. So he says, look, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. He says, love as brethren. Then he says this, be pitiful. Now, sometimes people say, like, you are so pitiful, and that's a negative thing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, be pitiful. Like, he says, he says you should show pity on others. You should show pity on those that deserve sorrow. He says, be courteous. See, Job's friends were not being sympathetic to Job. And look, it's honestly, look, and you should, as a, as a Christian, you should be in tune with empathy, sympathy, love, compassion. Do you understand that? 
We've been called to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have to fight battles. Sometimes we have to take strong stand. But you know, when, when it comes to the, the, the relationships between us and other believers, when we're trying to make things right or, or, or have good relationships, we should have sympathy. We should have love. We should have compassion. You shouldn't be hard-hearted towards your brother. You should be pitiful and compassion and have love as Brethren, go to Hebrews chapter 4 if you would. You're there in First Peter. Just keep going backwards. You're going to go past the book of James into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. And let me just say this. To show sympathy is to be like Christ. To show empathy is to uh, be like Christ. What does empathy mean? It means that you, you try to be in tune with their emotion. It doesn't mean that you understand what they're going through. You know, if you haven't gone through what they've gone through, maybe you don't understand it, but you try to feel their pain. You look at Job and you realize, here's a man going through some deep pain right now. Maybe I shouldn't kick him while he's down. Maybe I should show sympathy. Maybe I should show empathy. And this is what Jesus does for you and I. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, the Bible says, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. See, nobody, nobody... Nobody could look at Job and say, Job, I know how you feel. I've gone through what you've gone through. I don't think anybody on planet Earth has ever gone through what Job has gone through. But you know who could? Jesus Christ. Jesus could say to Job, Job, you've been rejected by loved ones? I've been rejected by loved ones. You've you've lost. You've had great loss. I've had great loss. See, the Bible says that we have not an high priest. This is Jesus Christ, by the way, the great high priest. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. Here's the only difference between Jesus and you, Jesus and me. He did it yet without sin. So Jesus is in tune with our emotions, with our hurts. That's why the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So Job's friends were not being sympathetic, but the lesson we can learn is this. Number one, good friends should not be unsympathetic. Good friends should not be unsympathetic towards their friend. Look, and, and, and you, whether in church life, around other believers, or in your family, or with people that you uh, associate with, we should try to have sympathy, love, compassion. The Bible says, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So we should be tender-hearted towards people. We should have a soft heart towards people. So good friends... Good friends will show sympathy. Good friends should not be unsympathetic. But let me give you a second thought uh, tonight. Go, go back to Job chapter 6. And that was kind of the, the longer point. The other points will be a little shorter. I said, number one, good friends should not be unsympathetic. But number two, I want you to notice what Paul, or what, I keep saying Paul. I don't know why I got that stuck in my hand. What Job, maybe I should be preaching through another book right now. Job chapter 6, verse 14. Notice what Job says to his friends. Verse 14, he says, To him that is afflicted. Now, of course, Job is the one that's being afflicted. He says, Pity should be shown from his friends. That's what we're talking about. He's rebuking them now. And look, don't get mad at Job for rebuking them. They took some pretty, you know, cheap shots at Job. I mean, remember, they're talking about, like, you know, wicked people have their kids die when Job just had his kids die. You know, they, they said some pretty rude things. Eliphaz said some pretty rude things to Job. So Job's kind of defending himself. He says, you know, to him that is afflicted, pity should be shown from his friend. And, and he's telling them, you're not being a very good friend right now. You're not showing pity. 
but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. And then he says this in verse 15. He says, he says my brethren, and he's looking at his friends, right? Because these are his three friends that came to comfort him. That's what they, the Bible says they came to do. He says, my brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook. He says, your friendship has been a deceitful friendship. He said, in fact, you've been, and he gives this illustration, he says, you've been like a deceitful brook. He says, my brother have dealt with me, uh, have dealt deceitfully as a brook. And you say, what, is, what do you mean by that, Job? He's going to explain. Notice what he says. He says, as the streams of brooks, they pass away. He said, the thing about a brook is that a brook will be there during the winter when it rains and the water is coming down from the, from, from, the, from the tops of the mountains, that brook will be there, but he says it's deceitful because you shouldn't count on that brook because, like he says at the end of verse 15, they pass away. He says, and as the streams of brooks, they pass away. Notice verse 16. Which are blackish by reason of the ice, and wherein the snow is hid. He says, look, when there's ice and when there's snow... You can see the black. You can see where the water flowed. But then he says this in verse 17. He says, what time they wax warm, they vanish. He says, when it gets warm, when it gets warm, he said, you know, if you're walking down this mountain in the middle of winter and you have enough water, you know, no big deal. You see that little stream passing. But then in summertime, if you think, oh, yeah, there's a stream over there. Let me go get some water because I'm hot now. He says, when you go there, then the stream's out there. That, that's what he's saying. Verse 17, he says, What time they wax warm, they vanish. When it is hot, they are consumed out of their place. The paths of their ways are turned aside. They go to nothing and perish. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you are being like a deceitful brook. That you're there when I don't need you. You're there when there's enough water. You're there when there's enough uh, uh, water gushing down the mountain. But when it's hot and I actually need someone to refresh me, you're not there. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you guys are bad friends. You're not good friends because a good friend would not be unsympathetic. They would be sympathetic. And he says, good friends would not be fair-weather friends. Here's what Job is saying. You're a fair-weather friend. You're, you know, when I have the money, you're my friend. When I have the connections, you're my friend. When I, when I had, you know, everything going for me, things were going well, you were my friend. But he said, now that I actually need someone to refresh me, I can't find the book. It's dried up. He says, you guys are not there when I need you. Go to the book of Proverbs, if you would. Proverbs chapter 19, you're there in Job, you just go past the book of Psalms into the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 19. And by the way, let me just say this. I think we need a revival in loyalty. I think loyalty is a concept that has been lost by our society today. But especially when you have friends that are going through a difficult time, you know, I've, I've just decided I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best to not be the type of person who's going to kick somebody when they're down. You know, that's, when, that's what friendship's about, is to try to help people, is to try to be there for them when they need you. It, there's no way, I'm there for you when you don't need, when they don't need you. It's when they need you. It's when they're low. It's when the resources have dried up. It's when, it's, it's when they can't find how to be refreshed that a good friend should be there. Proverbs 19 and verse 6, notice what the Bible says. 
Proverbs 19 and verse 6, the Bible says this, Many will entreat the favor of the prince. You know, when you're the prince, when you have authority, when you have power, everybody wants to be your friend. Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. You got money, you're just spending money like a drunken sailor, everyone's going to be your friend. They're going to love you. Prodigal son found that out. He found that out the hard way. When he had money, when he had his inheritance and he was partying, he had so many friends he didn't know what to do with. But when the money ran out, so did his friends. Nobody was there to help him. Notice he says, Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Verse 7, All the brethren of the poor do hate him. He says, you know, princes have no problem uh, getting friends. But you know who, you know, everybody hates the poor guy. Right? The guy who needs. And we're not talking here about having a welfare mentality. But what he's saying, look, all the brethren, he's just, he's just stating this truth. He's saying, all the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are waiting to him. See, when you're the prince, people are calling you, wanting to be with you. But when you're poor, he's pursuing them with words, and they don't return his calls. That, right? That's what he's saying. He pursueth them with words, and they're waiting to him. And here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. People have a tendency to be fair-weather friends. I'll stand with you, pastor, as long as there's no, nothing going on, and I might not, you know... Nothing bad's going to happen to us. But as soon as standing with you means I might lose my job, and you're on your own. Right? This is what Paul said. He said, don't be ashamed of my chain. Why? Because Paul would get arrested, and Paul would get beaten, and people would turn on him, and he says, look, why, why are you being a fair-weather friend? I don't need a fair-weather friend. In fair-weather, nobody needs a friend. He says, all the brethren of Port do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? Go to Proverbs chapter 18, look at verse 24. Proverbs 18, verse 24. See, a true friend, a true friend is not a fair-weather friend. Proverbs 18 and verse 24, the Bible says this, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And I'm not preaching about this tonight, but let me just say this. You say, I have problems, uh, I don't have friends. Maybe you're not showing yourself friendly. The Bible says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Then the Bible says this. Notice the last part of verse 24. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You see that? See, there is a friend, the Bible says, that sticketh closer than a brother. See, that's a real friend. A friend is going to stick with you to the end. A friend is going to stick with you and not just be a fair weather friend. Go back to Job chapter number 6. So this is what Paul... This is what... Good night. This is what Job... I got Paul on the mind. This is what Job is telling his friends. He's saying, look, you're not being sympathetic. He said, a friend should get pity from their friends. And then he says, you're you're being a fair-weather friend. You know, when everything was good, everything was good. But now everything's not so good. Now I can't find you. Now I can't find the brook. Now I can't find you to refresh me. And then he says this in verse 22. He says, did I say, this is the part that really gets me from this, from this chapter. He says, because he just got done saying, you're not a very good friend because you're not showing pity. You're being mean to me. And he says, you're not a very good friend because by your own 
admission, Eliphaz, I was there to strengthen you when you needed it. And now that I need it, the brook's dried out. Then he says this. He says, did I say, did I say bring unto me or give a reward for me of your substance or deliver me from the enemy's hands or redeem me from the hand of the mighty? Here's what Job's saying. He's saying, did I ask you to come here? He said, I didn't invite you. Job says, you, you showed up to comfort me, supposedly, and all you've done is attack me and criticize me and, and, and discourage me. He says, did I say bring unto me or give a reward for me uh, of your substance or deliver me from the enemy's hands or redeem me from the hand of mine? He says, I didn't ask you to come, Eliphaz. I didn't ask you three to come. He said, I, I didn't call for you. But verse 24, he says, teach me. And I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. Here's what Job's saying. Because remember, Eliphaz's big attack on Job, his big attack on Job is that this doesn't happen to good people, Job. Remember, Eliphaz was the first prosperity preacher. This is happening to you because of sin in your life, Job. And Job says, okay, well, teach me. He says, I will hold my tongue. I'll let you, I'll let you talk. I will let you talk for two chapters. He says, cause me to understand where and I have heard. He says, if you're going to accuse me of sin, then tell me, what's sin? What have I done? He says, if you're accusing me of doing something wrong, then what is it? He says, I didn't ask you to come, but since you're here and you're accusing me of doing something wrong, he says, then what is it? Then he says this in verse 25, he says, how forcible are right words. But what doth your arguing reprove? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I've listened to your sermon now for two chapters, right? Said, I, he's, Job said, I listened to you. Chapter 4, chapter 5. I listened to your whole sermon. And he says, I'm not under conviction, Eliphaz, sorry. Because he's saying, look, he says, how forcible are right words. But what doth your arguing reprove? He says, he says you're arguing with me isn't reproving me, but he said, if you were actually preaching, if you were actually, if you had some, some, something right to say, he said, you know, right words are forcible. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you were actually teaching and preaching the truth, that would actually bring conviction, that would actually cause me to want to fix something. He says, how forcible are right words? And by the way, have you ever thought about the fact that God, the Bible says that God had chosen the silly things of this world to confound the white. The weak things of this world to confound the, the, the strong things. He's chosen the foolishness of preaching. Man, have you ever thought about, why does preaching work? I mean, honestly, it shouldn't. And I don't know if I should say this because I'm going to put the wrong thought in some of your guys' heads and you're going to not come back. But if you think about it, you know, God said, here's what we're going to do. Some guys are going to stand up with the word of God and yell at you three times a week and that's going to help change your life and get you better and help your marriage and help your child rearing and get you healthy and get your finances straight. And you're like, that'll never work. And here's the truth, that would never work if it wasn't that we preach the word of God. How forcible is what Job said. He says, how forcible are right words. See, if I stood up and just preached my thoughts and my ideas... You know, I preached a whole sermon on Sunday night about stories and things we went to, but the honest truth is this, and those of you that come to Verity Baptist Church, you know this is true. I don't tell a lot of stories. I don't really tell a lot of explanations or whatever. We kind of just preach through the Word of God. You say, why? Because it is the Word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
and your matters of life are too important for, for them to be wasted upon anything other than the Word of God. See, the Word of God are the forcible right words. And, and, and Job is saying, if you if you preach a sermon to me, he says, if there's something wrong with me, then preach a sermon to me so I can get right. He said, but all you're doing is criticizing me and arguing with me and teaching me your ecumenical, positive-only, prosperity gospel. He says, but what that you're arguing reproves. He said, after listening to your sermon, I am not under conviction. But it's not because I'm not willing to hear. It's because you're not preaching the truth. How forcible are right words. And by the way, that's why you need preaching. Paul said, and he actually said this one this time. I'm actually talking about Paul. Paul said, despise not prophesying. You know, you need Bible preaching. And, and, and let me just say this, you know, thank God for the live streams and the internet and YouTube and thank God when people are sick and, 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 and they can watch online and we understand that and, we, and, 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 and all of that is great. But let me just say this, there's something about being in the room under the preaching of the word of God. It's just a little too easy, I think. It's a little too easy in the living room when pastor starts getting on your little sin, oh, let's just... Skip that part a little. Let's just fast forward here a little bit. There we go. Just mute him for a minute. I wonder what the other guys are preaching about. There's something about being in the room. That God has ordained the foolishness of preaching, the forcible of right work. Look, whenever you start wanting to avoid preaching, that's when you need it the most. I don't know, maybe I should show up on Wednesday night. No, you need Wednesday night. You need Sunday night. You need, you and I and all of us need the preaching of the Word of God. How forcible, how forcible are right words. But what does your arguing reprove? He says, you're not helping me. Do you imagine to reprove words and the speeches of one that is desperate, which are his wind? He says, yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless, and ye dig a pit for your friend. He said, you're not helping me, you're hurting me. You're not helping me. You're hindering me. He says, you're not blessing me. You're being a burden to me. Go to the book of Luke real quickly. We've got to finish this thing up. We'll be done here in a minute. Luke chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 6. I said, number one, good friends should not be unsympathetic. Number two, good friends will not be fair-weather friends. Here's point number three. Good friends should not turn blessings into burdens. You know what a good friend does? When they want to bless you, they think through it. They think through it and make sure that the blessing doesn't become a burden. I mean, obviously, obviously, the Bible calls them Job's three friends. The narrator of the Word of God calls them his friends, so I believe that they were friends. The Bible says they came to comfort him. The narrator of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, says they came to comfort I honestly believe they came to comfort him. But when they got there, something went drastically wrong. And I think it had to do with the fact that they didn't think through this thing. They didn't think through, okay, we're going to go visit Job. What are we going to say to Job? How how are we going to minister to him? They didn't think through this thing. And let me tell you something. One of the biggest problems that you'll have in relationships is when people don't have empathy. We already saw that. He said, good friends would pity me, Job said. When people don't have empathy for the other side. See, 
You say, I want to be a blessing to someone. Okay. Well, you got to think about how can I be a blessing to that individual? Luke chapter 6, verse 31. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. The golden rule. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. It's a very simple rule in the Bible. You should treat people the way you'd like to be treated. Life has. It's not that complicated. Life has. Just think to yourself. If I were Job, if I were Job, I just lost all my finances. I just lost all my children. I just lost my health and my wife turned on me. What would I want somebody to say to me? Because see, I think Eliphaz is like, what did I do wrong? I'm just telling you. Because remember, Eliphaz said, Job, are you going to be mad if I tell you something? That's how he started the conversation. But if Eliphaz would have just stopped for a minute and said, hey, what I want somebody to say to me, what I'm about to say to Job, I think it would have been clear that the answer is no. See, sometimes we try to be a blessing to people and we end up being a burden to them. You got to ask yourself, when you want to be a blessing to somebody, ask yourself, would I want this? Would I want somebody to do this for me or to me? Sometimes people come to me like, Pastor, I have the greatest idea for church. This is going to bring in such a big crowd. I'm like, okay, what is it? We should have a circus. You know, or some ridiculous thing. Like clowns and dancing bears. I'm like, okay. You're like a special service. I'm like, okay, all right. You help me get the clowns? No, 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 I'm too busy for that. You know, just, you know where we can get dancing bears? Well, yeah, you got staff, right? You guys figure it out. Just let me know what it is so I can come for it. You're not helping me. Do you understand that? Oh, I'm going to be a blessing to the person. Sometimes the blessing becomes more of a burden. Sometimes people try to be a blessing to you and you're like, I wish you would have never showed up. I mean, Job's like, I didn't call you. This isn't helping me. I'm not feeling uplifted after this conversation. You're offending me. He says, good friends. He says, good friends. You know what good friends do? They treat people the way they'd like to be treated. Before they go out of their way to be a blessing to someone, they think through that blessing and think to themselves, I wonder if they even would want me to say that, want me to do that, want me to act that way. But see, most people only do what they want, what they think about. So Eliphaz's friends are like, hey, this is my opportunity to tell Job everything I think about him. No, Eliphaz, would you want someone to treat you that way? Look, you know that most problems in your marriage would be solved if you just stopped for a minute and asked yourself, okay, if my wife said what I'm about to say to her to me, would I like that? How would I respond when... when what I'm about to say to my teenager, what I'm about to say to my husband, what I'm about to say to my wife, what I'm about to say to my coworker, what I'm about to say to my pastor, that's a big one. If I were the pastor and he was the church member and he said or did, would I like that? You know, that would solve so many problems. Because real friends, good friends, they don't allow blessings to become burdens. See, I think that a life has... And the rest of these guys, their heart was in the right place, but something went drastically wrong. And it had a lot to do with the fact that they were doing what they wanted and not thinking about Job. Because you know what a good friends do? They're sympathetic. They empathize. They look at Job and say, Job, obviously, you're a sinner. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that what you're going through is because of your sin Look, Job, right now, you, what you need is a friend, so I'm going to be a friend. 
I'm not going to be a fair weather friend. I'm just going to stick with you. I'm going to be the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And Job, I'm going to treat you the way I'd like to be treated. Because honestly, we just followed that advice from the wisest man who ever walked on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Most relationships would be fine. Go back to Job chapter 6. Look at verse 28. We'll finish this up. Job is telling his friends, you know, I didn't call you here. I'm not sure why you even did this. You came here to help me, and you only hurt me. Then he says this in verse 28. He says, now therefore be content. Look upon me. He says, for, is it, for it is evident unto you if I lie. He says, look, just look at me. He says, look, I'm not lying to you. He says, return. He says, look at me. I'm being very serious about what I'm about to say, okay? Then he says, go away. Return, I pray you. Let it not be iniquity. Here's what he's saying. Before this conversation becomes sinful, here's what Job is literally saying. He's saying, before I say something I'm going to regret, I think it's a little too late for that. But he says, let it not be iniquity, yea, return again. Because remember, he said, I didn't ask for you. I didn't ask you to come. I didn't ask you to do this. He says, return away. He says, my righteousness is in it. Here's what he's saying in verse 30. He says, is there iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? Here's what he's saying. Job is saying, if there was sin in my life, because he's saying, look at me, look at me, I'm not lying to you. If there was sin in my life, I would know it. And Job isn't saying that he's sinless. But what he's saying is this, that if, if judgment was coming upon me for a specific sin, I would know it, Job's saying. He says, cannot my taste discern perverse things? So you know what? Let's be careful to not be like Job's friends. I mean, I think there's probably, other than Amnon, uh, Amnon's friend, right? Jonadab? Other than that friendship, there's probably no worse friendship than the friendship of Job's three friends. And here in this chapter, we learn like where they failed. They failed because they had lack of sympathy. They failed because they were fair-weather friends. And they failed because they allowed their blessing to become a burden. They allow their blessing to become a burden. You know what I like? I like it when people come to me and they're like, hey, pastor, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and don't worry about it. We're going to take care of it. I I love it when people just take care. We've had events that we do here at Verity Baptist Church, and people take care of it, and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that's great. You know what I don't like? When when people try to put stuff on our plate. I got a busy plate, all right? You know, we love you. We want to help you. But if you want to do a circus, you figure it out. (laughs) But, but if you're like, hey, pastor, I'm going to finance a circus. Hey, we'll do it. Now, actually, let me just take that back. We're probably not going to do it. <laughs> the point is this. Don't let your blessing become a burden. Don't let your blessing become a burden. Let's bow our heads and I word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. Thank you for the book of Job. Thank you for the fact that we can study and learn about these friends. And Lord, thank you for the fact that we have this, this church is filled with people that are sympathetic. This church is filled with people that have stuck with us through the hard times. They're not fair-weather friends. And this church is filled with men and women that have came alongside and said, hey, let me help you. Let me take something off your plate. Let me help you with that event. Let me help you with that ministry. And Lord, I thank you for that. Thank you for the fact that you filled this church with good friends. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to always be mindful of what it means to be a good friend. Help us to learn from these bad friends how to be good friends. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.